Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The Thursday night matchup between a couple of four and three football teams. Four and three football teams, but going in totally opposite directions. The four and three Dolphins, the four and three Texans, not just two teams heading in opposite directions. It was actually about something even bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. I'm talking about the return of Brock. Brock Osweiler was back in H-Town. That's right. Brocktober returning to the scene of the greatest heist in NFL history. That four-year, $72 million contract that Texans owner Bob McNair pushed across the table with 36 mil of it guaranteed. You might recall that was the contract that was supposed to put Houston over the hump. Brock was supposed to be the quarterback to turn the Texans into a Super Bowl contender. In fact, not even that. They were already that. He was the missing piece. He was going to take them from Super Bowl contender to Lombardi defender. Hey, H-Town, how'd that work out? Eh, Let's not get into that just yet. Uh, Let's not get into that yet. Yeah, well, two and a half years later, the big crustacean has seen some things. He has been some places. You know, like the waiver wire. The dude has been to hell and back. What else do you call Cleveland before Baker Mayfield? And the bottom of a Broncos quarterback depth chart with Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. But the lobster, if anything, is a survivor. And if there is one nightmare even scarier for Texan fans than seeing Brock back in NRG Stadium, it's seeing him walk in wearing a different jersey to light Houston the hell up. There's your nightmare. And it didn't take long for that nightmare to begin to take hold. First quarter, Dolphins marching. The Lobster pushing the Finns into enemy territory when a Texans penalty took a field goal off the board and put the Miami offense right back on the field. And then on the very next play, the Dolphins take advantage and they cash it in. First down from the 12. Here's Drake. Drake walks to the end zone. Touchdown Miami. Technically, that's a touchdown by Kenyon Drake. But have you ever seen better technique on a handoff than that textbook exchange? If Dolphins coaches were raving about Brock's huddle and snap count etiquette a few weeks back, and they were, then they'll be holding a seminar and using that run play as a teaching tape to show kids how to find the bread basket of a running back. And then just like that, it's 7-0. And be honest, Texans fans, when you saw that touchdown, you had to wonder, is it going to be that kind of night? You know, the kind of night where Brock actually takes care of the football and leads the Finns up and down the field all night long, that kind of night? You know, the very thing that he couldn't do in Houston? Of course it wasn't that kind of night. We're talking about the Lobster. And on the very next series, after the Texans answered with a TD drive of their own, Brock Osweiler goes Brock Osweiler. And with Danny Amendola wrapped up in tight coverage and a field full of Texans swarming, the Lobster stares down Danny playoff and begins to play his greatest hits. Osweiler down the middle of the field Accepted by Houston. Justin Reed in the rookie. Back down near the 16. Should have been called. Now that's the guy that Texans fans remember. The one who stares down a guy who's not open, unleashes a throw about 10 yards too high, and then hits a DB square between the numbers. Bad read, bad decision, bad throw, even worse result. And that is the dude Texans fans could not be happier to have the hell out of town. Especially when Deshaun Watson is lighting suckers up. Just a week after his lungs were so jacked up, he couldn't even get on the team's airplane. All good things come to an end. And last night, we saw the very best thing come to an end. I'm talking about Brocktober. Because there might technically be five days left in this month, but that right there should be the end of an era. When the two passing highlights of your night are the backwards pass that you threw to set up a perfect completion by your starting wide receiver, and then a kill shot that you bounced from your intended receiver to the shoulder pads of one defender to the helmet of another into the hands of your own guy, then that should be your walk-off right there. 
And yes, I know technically Ryan Tannehill still might not be able to throw a forward pass, but let's do the right thing and end this thing right here and now because the lobster deserves it. He deserves the nobility in letting him right off into the sunset in Houston, the place where he earned that rep and cashed that mega check. And while it's clear that the 3-0 start by the Dolphins was the biggest smoke and mirrors act since those two dudes with the Hungry Lion owned the Mirage back in the day, Brocktober is officially over. It is over, and there should not be a Brockvember. But... No, no, no. Don't be sad it's over. Be happy that it ever happened. Brocktober. And what a ride it was. Nicole Auerbach is my guest. Nicole, nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good. Good to have you. Let me talk to you about Maryland football for a minute. After the death of Maryland offensive lineman Jordan McNair in June, there was an eight-person commission that was created to investigate the culture in the Maryland football program under head coach DJ Durkin. Before we get to the details of that report, overall, what have you made of how the school has dealt with the death of McNair and everything else surrounding that program? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of the frustration, um, around the way that they've handled this is because there was a lot of things that could have prevented the circumstances um, that that happened that day. Um, I think people were very frustrated, especially once you learn more, and I've spoken to heat stroke experts about how preventable heat stroke death is. Um, you know, there were things they could have done on the front end that day. There were things they could have done after he started exhibiting um, signs of a problem to, to save him. So I think that you start there in the frustration of, literally mishandling, um, you know, his that day. And then you think about that there are teammates and friends of his who watched that and witnessed that and are still, you know, struggling with that and then struggling with that and, and dealing with the fact that initially the school put out a timeline that didn't make any sense to them. Um, and then they start coming forward. They start speaking out. Former players, parents, former assistant coaches, people have been trying to get the culture to the forefront of this discussion because it's parallel but also tied together to the to the circumstances that led to Jordan McNair's actual death. So I think some of the, the stories that you've read and, and seen and people I've talked to and people have talked to the Washington Post and ESPN, all those places are doing so because they're frustrated with how slow and how, you know, unseriously the school was reacting in the immediate aftermath. And it really took um, ESPN's explosive report in mid-August to even get some traction on on both investigations, but obviously to prompt this one, the one that just came out this week about the culture created around the program. So I think, you know, a lot of these people who are talking anonymously um, and being protected and fearing retaliation, you know, those are people who are trying to get this story told and get this story out there. And we're getting more and more details now that we have these reports that are finished. Nicole Auerbach joining us. She's a senior writer for The Athletic and a studio analyst for the Big Ten Network. So you mentioned culture. I mean, if you get to some of the details of the report, for an example, this is in the report, and I quote, multiple players anonymously complain that the coaching staff would subject teams during mealtime to disturbing videos. According to Gus Little, this included videos of serial killers drills entering eyeballs and bloody scenes with animals eating animals and a quote listen you've covered college sports nationally for quite some time have you ever heard of anything like that and what's your reaction to it no and i actually had to read that over about three times before i understood exactly what it was saying and and before i tweeted it out because you know not everyone has time to go through a 200 page report um so i was kind of you know just pulling clips and, and that one really resonated with a lot of people because everyone's reaction was sort of like, uh, what? What is that? Did I read that correctly? And it was interesting for me because I have been talking to um, parents of current players, and one of them had mentioned violent videos to me during mealtime, but didn't have that context and the specifics of what exactly was on there. And so you see that and you think about that, and you just wonder how on earth is that supposed to be motivational? How on earth is that supposed to help anyone? Um, and it just sort of it fits into this culture where, you know, they don't want to use the word toxic, but it's, they describe everything in that report is a toxic culture. And a lot of these details like that just seem very sadistic to me um, because there doesn't seem to be any point And it just seems cruel and unnecessary and violent and just kind of just creepy in the same way. Um, and, and I just I, I've never heard of anyone using something like that. And then DJ Durkin in that report defends that as something motivational which i've never heard anyone refer to anything like that as a motivational technique 
Do you have big weekend plans? Then make them even bigger by getting down with my pals at my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. This is why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the very best bet this season. They have been in business for years, they have great reviews online, and their mobile site is so easy to use. I would only recommend a service to you that I've been using myself. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join right now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Rome and activate that offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. Do not forget to use the promo code Rome when creating your account, and you can claim up to one thousand in free play. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. Right, so you mentioned DJ Durkin. Based on your reading of that report and your own reporting of the subject, what's your sense of what the Maryland players thought of DJ Durkin as a head coach? Well, it's definitely mixed, and, and that's kind of where you got to start and end. And, and the report shows that, that there are definitely people who are in his camp who believe in his tough love approach, who believe that he did everything he could to make them be better, um, you know, not just football players, but men too. You have a faction of players that were abused, um, and they're of all levels. Because um, parents that I am in touch with are parents of players that are significant contributors. They're getting playing time. This is not just disgruntled players. Um, and then you have people in the middle who are just trying to lay low and just want all of this to end. So you have a variety of, of, of feelings and opinions about him. Um, there's, there's a sampling of quotes that are pulled anonymously in the report. And there's also kind of a it's, it's almost like an NPS-type grading system where they kind of just you rated things between 0 to 5, and then they could compare that to averages that other coaches, other cultures receive in about 32 other college football programs. And even the top uh, scores that Durkin was getting from some of the underclassmen were still below the average that, they, that this service um, that has pulled other programs were receiving. So... You know, the, the numbers were, were interesting. They were consistent across the board, that it didn't matter if you were a starter or not a starter. Um, you know, the, the, the ratings of the strength coach, Rick Court, who has already been, um, you know, has already removed himself from the Maryland program. His ratings were very low. The culture was lower than average. I mean, so, so I think even though you have that mixed responses, you're still seeing an overall culture and overall response to a coach that is below average across, you know, the nation. Nicole Auerbach joining us. You mentioned Court. There's a story of a player who was forced to eat candy by Court, who was the strength and conditioning coach, forced to eat candy. What was the thinking behind that? Well, the the thinking there is to humiliate him. This is someone who was struggling to lose weight um, and and get his weight to the level that the strength and conditioning staff wanted him to be. So they decided in order to humiliate him, they would make him eat candy bars in front of everyone else. And, you know, again, like the sadistic is a word that keeps coming to mind with a lot of these examples of things that Rick Court was doing um, that really were, were humiliating. Like the, the language he was using and lots of people have been saying, oh, yeah, people use bad language around other football programs. But it's the way that he was doing it in such a demeaning way, like the candy bar instance and the language he uses. That's the part. It was personal attacks. And it was also a lot of these examples that you've, you've read about and the more that have been added in this report, they're all in front of other players and in front of teammates. And it's, it's this public humiliation element and kind of pitting people against each other within their own program. All of that tied together is, is what's so disturbing about it because standalone, you're like, oh, well, he had a candy bar. How is that that bad? But then you think about it in the context and the humiliation that that one kid must have felt in that moment in front of his teammates, and you understand why this was so cruel. Nicole Albrecht joining us. She writes for The Athletic, and we're talking about the Maryland football program. And then earlier this month, Nicole, you reported on a number of parents who were concerned about Durkin being retained as head coach. One of them told you, quote, we are worried that this narcissistic sociopath is going to come back. To me, he should never coach again, end of quote. Can you see a scenario in which he actually does come back? Well, it's, it's hard to tell, um, you know, especially with the way that they – have been kind of dragging out this um, the investigation on the front end, but but now the board of trustees or sorry the board of regents 
have had kind of sporadic meetings. There's been leaks, obviously, in between. There's another meeting today. Um, it's just very hard to tell. I mean, now we're, we're on the eve of a football game that you're asking these players to then go play. Um, and so, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces right now. I, after reading that, can't imagine um, that DJ Durkin would return. And I think there's, there's definitely valid questions about people who were supposed to be supervising him and his program and their responsibility level as well. Um, because there was also a lot in there about the dysfunction within the athletic department and the lack of oversight. But, you know, I think that there's also some very loud and influential donors, loud and influential players and parents in that one faction I described to you earlier that are supportive of him, and they have been pushing. It's just been very, there's just been so much friction within these divided factions within the fan base. Um, and, it, you know, there's, there's certainly a lot of people who, are embarrassed that it's taken this long and that he is still, you know, on the paid administrative leave. But, you know, it's just, it's hard to predict right now. And that's why those parents had, had come to me because they're terrified that the longer this goes, the more likely maybe he is to be reinstated. And they're very worried about what that means for their son. So, you know, I think right now we're all just waiting. I think, you know, I've gotten lots of messages from other administrators at other schools who can't imagine him coming back as well. And that's not what they would do. But, you know, it's college football. There's a lot of money. There's boosters. There's a lot of people who get involved in these decisions and discussions who probably shouldn't and don't really make much sense to people who don't understand college sports. But all of that stuff ends up being taken into consideration. And and it's worth also pointing out that DJ Durkin didn't win big at Maryland or anything. So it's also kind of strange that these people are kind of sticking their necks out for someone who is not Urban Meyer, is not Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban, not someone that you're willing to risk you know, everything when we saw people defending Urban Meyer and Ohio State in the school making its, you know, decision to punish but keep their coach, this is a different situation and a different level of success, which won't factor into ultimately all of this, but I think is, is again, another reason why it's a little confusing why some people got who stuck their neck out so far for DJ Durkin. For who, for what? Listen, last point. You mentioned those two. Durkin was an assistant under both of them. He was an assistant under Meyer. He was an assistant under Jim Harbaugh, two of the most successful college coaches ever. So this guy did not just magically appear out of thin air. Having read that report and knowing everything you know about that program, Maryland's program, are they an outlier or do things like this happen in other places? Well, I think that there's definitely a culture around college football that is problematic that has bad language, that has this tough love approach. But I'll, I'll, I'll answer a question like this. One of the former staff members who had worked under uh, DJ Durkin at Maryland but no longer does put it to me this way. He said, there is a way to criticize a player for something that they do that's wrong and to yell at them and yell at the mistake. But then afterwards, you kind of pull them aside, you hug them, you coach them up, you tell them you love them. But when you're personally attacking people and using certain language to demean the person, you can't really do that after the fact. You can't hug someone and tell them you love them because you personally attacked them. You were trying to humiliate them. You were demeaning them. And so that coach has been in college football for decades. And he said he'd never been somewhere where it was like that, where it was that type of verbal abuse. And so to me, that is all I needed to hear to understand. This is someone who's been at a bunch of different places. And to me, explained it really well, the difference between using language and yelling at people and then using it the way that it was used at Maryland. And so I, I do think there are elements of this that happen elsewhere. I do think also that Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer should be answering more questions about DJ Durkin's time under both of them. But I do think that it was a different type of verbal abuse. And then obviously, you know, some of the stuff we mentioned with Rick Court and the physical abuse as well, um, you know, it just adds on to that. But I do think it was specifically and a little bit different and a little bit worse and well maybe a lot worse but it was definitely different than what this coach has been around at variety of levels variety of places in college football and let's not forget about the motivational mealtime videos of drills entering eyeballs and serial killers nicole auerbach is a senior writer for the athletic and a studio analyst for the big 10 network nicole nice to have you back thank you very much for your time i appreciate it all right, thanks. And I'm going to try not to think about drills entering eyeballs. Me too. So I, 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 can't, <laughs> yeah, I can't really unthink that. Thanks so much. Friday's Daily Jungle is rep by Ferguson. Listen to this. No matter how big or small your team is, 
Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. All right, so game three is coming up of the World Series. And Boston's now two wins away from their fourth World Series of the century. A very real chance that Fenway Park has already seen its last game of the season. And if it has, let's just say that Boston did it right. Title Town pulled out all of the stops. Remember, game one had the hood dropping some smooth voiceover. Remember that. Edelman, TB12, were throwing shade at L.A. We talked about that. Boston's very own James Taylor rocked that incredible national anthem. Yaz, throughout the first pitch. We saw all of that prior to game one, but do not sleep on game two's festivities because if you happen to forget in the past 24 hours, Boston is better at sports than your town. Boston's town is better than your town. The Red Sox flexed again when they got some of the old crew back together. They got the band back together, the band that started this whole thing. Remember, the idiots, the team that killed the curse. The team that cowboyed up one more time. They got together and cowboyed up one more time, and they threw out the first pitch together prior to game two. Won't you now welcome back some of the heroes of that epic comeback, the history-making world champions of 2004. All right, so they brought back a bunch of the crew. When you think about that great old 4 team, who do you think about? You think about the captain, Tech, Wake, my man, Kevin Millar, Pedro, Keith Folk, Big Poppy. Hell, there was even an Alan Embry sighting. The entire crew was there. Everybody came back. Because why would you miss that? Everybody except one dude. The one dude who was largely responsible for any of them being there, that one dude, Kurt Schilling. And if you thought that Kurt Schilling might have something to say about the fact that he was not invited, you'd be damn right. Of course he did. Because briefly after taking the high road on Twitter and saying, quote, no worries, and saying, quote, it's all good, come to find out it was not all good. Because Schill thumbed out an amazing statement on Facebook that made it pretty clear that not only did dude not get his invite, he probably will never, ever get another one to Fenway ever again after he tried to burn that yard to the ground. Check this out. Kurt Schilling, and I quote, The men who sit in that ivory tower and pass their judgment from on high know exactly what I did, and it shames them as men, knowing they'll never in their lives be able to do anything remotely close to that. He goes on, quote, I can wake up tomorrow and peek at the three World Series trophies or put on the three World Series rings and know what was and is. I don't need a ceremony to know what we did that year. I believe to this day that year made all the subsequent years possible and only that group of men could do what we did. So no, I didn't get invited. I didn't get snubbed. I just didn't get an invitation from a few weak, quote, men who spent their entire lives paying and watching other men achieve. End of quote. Boy, even for Schill, that is incredible. It's an amazing statement for so many different reasons. Number one, Kurt Schilling, World Series hero, going scorched earth on the Red Sox leadership with all sorts of crazy Kurt Schilling smack wrapped into it. People in ivory towers, weak men who spent their entire lives paying and watching other men achieve. This is incredible. This is a dude who should have never had to buy a beer or a meal in Boston ever again. None of his kids' kids should have had to ever buy a beer in Boston ever again. Yet he's the one out there throwing blowtorches at the franchise that he carried through in October with that bloody sock and all that epic smack that he ran about Mystique and Aura being, quote, dancers in a nightclub. Remember? This guy. Now he's ranting on Facebook like that crazy ant or uncle that you blocked on social a long time ago. And he's wondering why the Sox found Alan Embry and trotted him out to the hill instead of letting Kurt himself on the premises. 
in that Facebook statement, he linked to a podcast where he laid out the source of this blood feud. Like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And believe it or not, apparently, in his mind, it's got nothing to do with his controversial career post-baseball, but rather about a one-year, $8 million contract that he signed back in 08. Apparently, the team thought that Kurt did not play it straight about the health of his shoulder. And 10 years later, Schilling says, that's the issue. It's not about what I've said since. It's not about what I've done since. It's about that contract. That contract. They're carrying a grudge about that contract. You know, once again, never mind that he made like 115 mil during a 20-year career and managed to light that money on fire, I guess. And another 60-plus mil of Rhode Island's money with a failed video game venture, or that he got fired from ESPN for making crazy statements, and that he died on the hill, one of the weirdest hills ever, when he went with this on Fox Business Channel back in the day. How many times have you looked at a young man and said, wow, is he going to be, he's a beautiful young man. Wow, he's a gorgeous young man. And that man was 12, 13, 14, 15. I'll be honest, or he's a beautiful. Kurt, wh- yeah. Zero. Now, that's, see, now that's a lot. You, there's no way you haven't seen a young somebody else's son and said, "Wow, he's beautiful." Wow, I mean, and thought, it's, I'm going to be dating my, him. Inti- no, no, Sorry. no, no. But that's no, on your own on this one. But, no, I'm not on my own on this one because I have boys. My youngest son is a gorgeous young man, and I've heard women say, "Wow, he's a beautiful young boy." To jump to the point where you're you're insin- insinuating like something like pedophilia or a mol- molestation is where you're going with this because he's joking about, well, when she gets older, I'm going to date her. I mean, how do you get from there to being revolted and disgusted? How do you get yeah, you from know, being one of the best pitchers in the game to that? I don't know. I mean, like Kurt, Kurt Schilling didn't even get an invite to part of game two, but Alan Embry did. Well, Kurt, because of things like that, he used to come on this show. He was great. Back in the day, Kurt was one of the more interesting, entertaining guys that you could talk to. A guy that you wanted to talk to. A guy that you wanted on your show. He would come on the show, and he was great. Alvin, you've got to have some showing archives from back in the day when he came on this show. This is Kurt showing on this show, talking about Alex Rodriguez. Unfortunately, too many times... Uh, ESPN is, is showing the umpires screwing something up, and last night they got it both right. You know, especially the punk play and the, uh, the that stupid ass play in the, that A Rod had at first. I mean, they got that right, and that was that was huge. Hey, Kurt, was he trying to get away with something there? Was it that Bush? What what's your take pushed. on it that? Was, it was freaking so unprofessional. It's a joke. But you know, and you want to know something? The way to look at it is, that you would never see Derek Jeter doing something like that, ever. That's how uh, and the guys. Derek Jeter's a pro. He's a class act, and that that play was those were good times, good days. Kurt Schilling used to come on the program. We'd have conversations like that, and now he can't get an invite. But he says it's because of that one contract. But he's not mad. He says he's not mad. Can you imagine if this guy was mad? He went scorched earth on the Red Sox. Bronco Mendenhall, Bronco, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, it's it's good to be back. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Good to have you, Coach. All right, so you Thanks. beat Duke on Saturday in a game where you got a nice kickoff return to start the game. The offense showed up well. The defense forced a couple of turnovers. Let me start there. How pleased were you with the way the three units played and supported one another? Man, after a lot of heavy lifting in a program rebuild and, and reestablishment, it was the cleanest game yet in terms of complementary football which is the only brand we can play and be successful currently in our program, which means all three sides contribute and stack success upon each other. And so it was, it was the best game, at least to this point, in, this, uh, in the short time I've been at Virginia. Yeah, right, so you're talking about the rebuild, and I'm going to ask you about that in one minute. But that win at Duke came on the heels of a huge win over number 16, Miami. It seems to me it would have been pretty easy for guys maybe to celebrate that win over Miami, maybe sleepwalk or not be as prepared as they could have been for Duke. So what do you make of the way your team showed up and then backed up that win over the Hurricanes with another strong effort? Yeah, we addressed it head-on, um, and we, we called it the possibility of a Miami hangover, um, Just and, and that that's these things are all new for these kids on this team coming off of defeating a team like Miami and then having a five and one team on the road. Um, but we're, we're not in a position um, to, to ever not be at 100% full capacity with our full atten- intent on our objective. And 
Uh, luckily, the kids are trusting me enough to let me lead them and, and taking my word for their preparation and how it needs to happen. Virginia head football coach Bronco Mendenhall is my guest. So when you're looking to build something the way you are, how significant is it to be able to point to a game like that and show your current and future players, this is what we're doing, this is what we're about? Yeah, it, it's, it's um, essential to have benchmarks along the way that lend validity to your methodology. It just has to happen to breed the confidence and sustainment to keep going, especially when you're basically um, establishing a startup or a rebuild where, where every day is difficult. And without those simple successes or significant successes along the way, easy for a team or a program to be demoralized. And, and so, yeah, we, we not only point to them, but we leverage them at every possibility saying, if this, then that will happen, and it was really helpful. Well, so in terms of the rebuild, I mean, this is a team that was 2-10 and 10 just two years ago, and now you're in first place in the ACC Coastal Division. So what's been the biggest difference between your first season and where the team is right now? Just, just simply time. Um, this is a team that in my first team meeting, they, they simply couldn't even make eye contact. They were so dejected and, and in despair. We spent an entire first year just on personal competency, not even playing football, where – we have a tradition where uh, uh, jersey numbers are earned here, not given, and unless you meet certain competencies, you don't even get to practice. So the idea was making the ability to play the game just something to be desired, and that's in a practice format, let alone a game. Year two, we were able to actually focus on some football besides culture, which got us back to postseason. And based on how this season finishes, uh, if we're in postseason again and when, That'll be the first time in 14 years back-to-back that Virginia has been even postseason. So um, there's really neat things happening in a context of strong uh, academics and integrity, which I think college football um, could benefit by by more of those kind of stories and and possible circumstances. Yes, that's interesting because the football program in Maryland has been under a lot of scrutiny since the death of Jordan McNair, and part of that includes discussions about the culture in that program. I understand that you're focused on your program. So let me ask you, what do you want your program to be defined as? What are the experiences you want your players to have while they're with you? I want want our program to produce – the key moments of personal and self-development of a young player's lives. My, my passion is the development of young people through the football platform. Um, I think the game itself is moving so fast toward commercialization and entertainment and uh, commodity to, to basically um, these kids becoming more like a commodity. And I love the idea of, of human development through this game as an amateur sport, which means their education is paramount. But if we can add the character development, the grit, the resiliency, as well as their um, moral compass improvement, then I think, and man, if you're able to win as well, then that becomes an amazing experience for these kids um, through through the venue of college football. Bronco Mendenhall is my guest. You know, you always hear coaches talk about wanting to develop character. Here's a story. From your first season, before the start of the year, linebacker Malcolm Cook came into your office, and he had battled injuries in his first few seasons. He had just been diagnosed with a heart condition. It was going to keep him out for all of the 2016 season. And the two of you had a conversation, and you gave him a book. What do you remember about that conversation? And then the relationship the two of you have now, how did that develop? Yeah, so I I have a pretty simple... um methodology. Um, I think so many kids today, and with, with technology, right, you can Google or ask Siri anything, and then there's immediate answers. And so when a young person comes into my office, um, and, and I love to read, it's my favorite thing to do, and I love to learn. And so when a young person comes into my office, I visit with them and then listen to what, what is it that, at the core of their, their question. And then I have a library here, and we walk over and and I pull out a number of books, and they get to pick which one to read. And then after they read it, then they can come back, and we can have the discussion about the answer to their question. And so that's how it started with Malcolm. And little did I know he would keep coming back for 15, 16, 17, 20, and counting books to just um, accelerate his personal growth and development. And he's come back for his sixth year because of injury, and just it's been remarkable and so gratifying to see who he's becoming and I'm talking more off the field than on. You know, he also asked you a really interesting question at one point. Quote, what am I going to be doing 10 or 15 years from now? 
And you frequently answer those big questions with, do you want the truth or do you want the lie? <laughs> how many people in those situations want the truth and how many want the lie? Yeah, so I, I, um, I ask every player, um, first of all, if they want my feedback. And then I ask them, how honest do they want me to be? And if they, if they want me to be honest, then that opens the door for real significant change for, for really anyone. Um, if they don't answer in that way, then I really usually just dismiss them and just say, no, I really can't help you yet then. Um, so come back when you want the truth, and then I'll be glad to have this conversation. Brackle, can you tell, for instance, I mean, these are young people that yeah. we're dealing with. I remember when I was their age, I was nothing the way I am right now. Certainly you were not. Yeah. Can you tell what they're going to be like in 10 or 15 years generally? Man, I, I wish I could. Um, but there, there's, um, you can see signs and indications. But, man, you and I both know the challenges that come in your lives, um, in our lives, they're significant. And I think all we could do, either you or I or any parent or coach, is, is arm them to our best ability to be prepared for the challenges when they come. And so what we talk about here is building competency to where um, when a difficult, difficult challenge comes, um, they can look at it and say, good, I've been through this before, I've been trained to handle this, I am capable. And just to, to have this, uh, this self-reliance and capability to be able to do hard things. And that's one of the things that I love about our program is, man, we ask so much of these kids, and we, it is difficult. There's never an easy day, but who they become through that gives them their best chance, I think, to become who they want to be. It doesn't guarantee it. I certainly can't say that, as you mentioned, but I think it gives them a really good chance. You know, you mentioned that a couple of times, that there are no easy days. I can appreciate that. One last thought, because you've built programs before in the past, yep. you know what goes into this. You've talked about the fact that the program, as it grows, you want to go from capability to consistency. Yep. What does that mean? It just simply means that... Um, especially on what are considered the tests, right, right where all the attention comes, um, which are game days. And, and I agree and disagree at the same time with that being the ultimate measure of, of what's being accomplished. But there's a reality of results that comes with this job. It just means that um, when called on and when the world is watching, can they be their best self consistently and collectively and that's becoming who we are as the number of players in our program reach that level. Then it starts looking more and more like a quality team. Um, when viewed through the lenses of college football, and maybe at some point what that will have people do is look then behind the, the uh, performance to the methodology of how come. And then there might be some substance and some real value added um, through Virginia's football program and how we're doing what we're doing. When called on and with the world watching, can you consistently be your best self? That's, That's something right. to remember. Head football coach of Virginia, he's in his third season, and they are in first place in the ACC Coastal Division. And a big game coming up at home against UNC tomorrow. Bronco, great to have you back. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll see you later. Nobody likes anybody who brings their problems to work. As somebody who employs people, I don't like that at all. I don't bring my problems to work. Like if I'm having a bad day at home or away from the studio, everybody listening would know if I brought them to work. So I don't do that. So why are you bringing yours? Well, because my problems are infiltrating my everyday life because the people that I'm dealing with are hitting me up during business hours and I have no choice but to don't conduct. Don't care, Hawk. Don't care. This is my whole point. Don't bring it to work. Don't bring it to work. You're bringing it to work right there. You're like, oh, they're infiltrating me. They're bothering me at work. And that's why I'm bringing it to work, because they're bringing it, because they're bothering me at work. All right, that aside, don't bring it to work anymore. That aside, what the hell is going on with you? What's going on, and why are you fighting City Hall? And don't you know how to pick your fights? Art of war. You can't beat City Hall. Well, I'm going to be vague on this, um, but we have a problem. Since at, when? Well, since this, because this is a serious issue. We have a, we have a problem at our house, uh, the new one that we moved into. There's yeah, you a, live there. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I get it. Um, so, yeah, we got this problem at our house, and we are the, the building is in violation of some codes, and I am currently down at City Hall opening up a case against the building, and I'm on the horn with the health department uh, almost daily, and I'm fighting these people in the office all the time, and I just had a follow-up second fight the other day. And I've been reading a lot of inspirational quotes from Teddy Roosevelt about staying in the fight. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm 
I, I'm really pissed right now. I'm fighting for my family. Jim, I'm like, in the like fight Like the man in the arena? Stuff like that? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Man in the arena. My uh, my dad just sent me that quote. I have it in my email right now. Holy and, crap. So, the, yeah. so Pops is sending you motivational quotes from Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena. And you'd never read that before? You're not familiar with that one? No, I'd never read it before. I don't really read a lot. You don't even know how to read, Hawk. I, yeah, a little bit, but not much. And so, yeah, he sent me the quote, and I love the quote, and it's inspiring me to fight for my family family and to fight city hall and to fight the building and and i'm if i go down i'm going down swinging that's so vague hawk you were talking about a public health issue you're taking on city hall that's not so vague i could probably put two and two together and figure out what's going on there either you've got a bunch of rats running around your place or something else i mean rats with two t's thank you you're in the vicinity not quite as bad as rats but there's there's a problem and i have Did a cory pavin show up uninvited no, that would have been sweet, though. We could have talked golf. I was going to uh, say, you don't even know who that is, Hawk. All right. Uh, yeah, so I got a problem. It's affecting my family. I'm very motivated to handle this uh, problem. I'll tell you what, it's, it's affecting your work. I'll say that. Yeah, but Not in a good way. I'm sorry. That's all right. The, the fight no, is almost not. over because I'm, I'm going is to Is it win. almost over? I don't know. It, but I'm going to win for sure because I am reading the man Hawk, in the you're arena. you're a loser in life. You win nothing. So what makes you think you're going to win this fight? I won at the car dealership. I will win at City Hall. Apparently you did not win at the car dealership because a number of people who work at car dealerships said he didn't win. He's the easiest mark ever. That money that he thinks he saved, we built right into the finance. So you didn't win that fight, Hawk. That's one man's opinion. You, you didn't. It's, it's every man's opinion. You didn't win that fight where... Well, you didn't win that gamble where you tried to make it to the end of the year without getting tags for your cars. Remember that? I did. That's something else you did not win. Well, yeah, no, I didn't win that, but I did get out from under that car before actually ever paying for registration. So score one for me, the little guy. Damn, keep telling yourself this, Hawk. You live in that parallel universe, Hawk. None of this is true. Let's see. This guy, Hedstrom Bacon, Hawk's problems are radio gold. This is what this guy said. You do have a lot of problems, Hawk. For all the people that have worked here, you probably have more problems than anybody who's ever worked here. But stay strong. Stay strong. All right, so Hawk... Hawk is dealing with an issue at home. And aren't we all? It's a life. Everybody's dealing with an issue at home. I respect the people who come to work and leave it there and can compartmentalize and focus on what they have to do. I learned this early on in my business. If I'm having a bad day and I bring that with me to work, you all know I'm having a bad day. And isn't one of the reasons you listen to me Because you're having a bad day and you want to forget about that bad day. Therefore, I cannot bring my bad day to work. This is why I don't have bad days. And if I did, you'd never know about it. Sure, once in a while, I'll get a little frustrated and maybe kind of snap on some of your stupid tweets and emails. But I'm resilient. I rally by the next segment. I'm fine. I'm good. Because I've got a mental reset. Hawk, do that. Instead of reading quotes from Teddy Roosevelt that we've all read since sixth grade, develop the reset button. Hit reset. A mental reset. When you realize what's going around and you're giving into the minute, bam, reset. Whatever. Whatever it takes. Develop a tool. Don't be a tool. Develop a tool. Jamie in Green Bay is in. He tweets, man, it must be exhausting being Hawk every day. Hashtag no days off. No. I don't know. I know this. Working alongside him is exhausting for me every day. And my two cents worth tweets. I can only imagine the fear of City Hall right now. Hawk on their ass. Some shaking and quaking going on. You see, City Hall is built for this sort of thing. They know. They know. But they don't want any part of Hawk, do they? Oh, hell no. Hell no. This is different. Fight a fight you can win. Otherwise, don't fight it. Retreat. Anybody else? My favorite part is when Hawk said, I'm going to be vague about this. And I said, since when? Well, this one's a little bit touchy. This is sensitive. Anyway, at this place where I live, there are rats the size of dogs running around. And lots of them. And damn, City Hall is going to get a piece of my mind. We're not having that. My baby wants to keep the pet rat since we wouldn't let... Since we wouldn't bring a dog in the house. But the rat's the size of a dog. 1-800-636-8686. I've mentioned time and time again that I want to play the social game because you have to. And that part of that social game is those stupid poll questions that people put up. The kind that Hawk's always trying to get me to put up. Just do it. Do it. Do it, Jim. It's uh, interactive. And the clones love it. And you'll get lots of uh, action. All right. 
All right, Hawk, I'll do it. I got a poll question for you. Who you got? The Bird or City Hall? Ricky. John Francois is my guest. Ricky, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Ricky, doing great. You had that monster game on Sunday. Let me start there. You had two sacks. First of all, how good did it feel to create that level of chaos and then to drop your legendary peanut butter jelly dance? <laughs> it was good. It was good to get it was good to get pressure on the uh, quarterback, but I got to thank my DBs in the back end that they gave us good coverage for, for me to be allowed to to be able to get those two pressing quarterback sacks in. You know, I, and plus being home, I had to do the peanut butter and jelly just to put a smile on everybody's face, even though a lot of my teammates were looking at me crazy trying to figure out <laughs> what I was doing. But if you're from Florida, you know what I was doing. If you know my history, you know what it was. Ricky, I know your history, and that's why I'm laughing already. The second you answer that question by giving credit to the DBs, knowing you and knowing the kind of guy you are, I knew you would do that. I knew you'd give it to, to your teammates and say that it was all about the guys behind you. But for one moment, take it a moment and make it about yourself. Discuss the plays. On that first pass attempt, you split a double team. You got into the backfield. You brought Brock Osweiler to the ground. What did you see on that first play? I've uh, just, just been prepared the whole week and going through preparation and, and just listening to Matt Patricia just telling us their protection the whole week and what Osweiler was looking at and what the O-line was being prepared for. I just, you know, I just played. My, when I seen them start leaning out a little bit, knew the protection was swinging to me, I had to make sure I had to make a quick um, instant move inside of that A-gap. When I got the chance to, I just knew when I got in between both of them and I just kept going forward, I wasn't going to stop until I got to them. Right, so you're from Miami. You went to Carroll City, which is a short drive from Hard Rock Stadium. Yet, as you've said, you've played in pretty much every stadium in the league except for that one. How did it feel to be back home and to dominate the way you did? It felt, it felt good to be back home. It felt good to actually play in that stadium. I wish I could have played in it when it was called Joe Robbie Stadium, but now it went through about 800 different names, and now it's finally the Hard Rock. I'm happy that I think it's 2021 there. We're hosting the Super Bowl, so that's a plus for our community. I'm happy about that. But it was great to be home and be able to have a performance like that in front of my friends and family. Rick John Francois, my guest. Now you beat Miami in their place, and now you're going to come back home Sunday to face the Seahawks. That stadium is a place where you've already beaten the Pats and the Packers. How valuable is it to have that home field edge, and what's it mean to have that fan, that fan base behind you the way they are? Oh, man, just to see the fan base in Miami, it was crazy. Just hearing them chant in another opponent's stadium, and you hear, you see your fans, you see the blue shirt. You see the blue jersey, you see the lion, you see them chanting the flag. I thought we was home for a minute. I just thought we was outside. We was outside playing a game and back in Detroit. But just to know your fans who are willing to travel anywhere and just knowing this prestige organization that has fans that have been with them for the longest and they travel everywhere, man, I can't wait till Sunday when, man, when the whole D is in the stadium and they're getting as loud as they possibly can. I just hope everybody lose their voice on Monday you got to figure it out. I don't know how you're going to get your voice back, but on Sunday I'm going to need every last of your energy, your voice, yelling, screaming, whatever. we got to get loud on that on Sunday. Yeah, they want that badly too, Ricky. It kind of goes back to what I said at the very top, that when you think about Detroit, you think about a lot of things. To me, it's an amazing town, but I just don't think they get the respect they deserve for it being a football town. How long were you there before you realized these people are so hungry? This really is a very good football town. They just need the winner. Just uh, just walking around the community, hearing people saying, man, we still believe in you guys. We've been behind you guys for so long from the time it started to now. We believe. We just, we just want to see the win. And just to see these hardworking blue-collar people get up every morning to work, grind, to make sure their family is good, and be able to come out there on Sunday and do the same thing with us while we're grinding and they're smiling and they're happy and they're cheering, you've you got to give this town something back. You've got to give them wins. You've you got to give them the utmost respect and give them, give them what they want. They've been with you forever. No matter win, lose, or draw, they've been with you. So you, we got to get something back to the community. We got to get something back to this city, something that's missing to the city. And that's just giving, stacking wins, stacking wins, and giving this city something to always look forward to on a Monday night, Thursday night, or a Sunday night football game. It's so well said. Lion fans have to hear that and they have to love that. And then you've got the organization and they're doing what they can to make the team as competitive as possible. The team goes out and they make that deal for Damon Snacks Harrison to give you some help on the D-line. What was your reaction when you saw that trade? That was, it was a good move. It was a good move by Bob Quinn. Bob's always up to doing something. Matt Patricia is too. They just, they're trying to win now. They ain't got time for most. what most people say, rebuilding the team. We're not trying to rebuild the team. We're trying to win now. Next year is going to be next year, but right now we can take we can take this opportunity and make the best of it. When they made that when they made that trade and they got the opportunity to get 
possibly one of the best nose tackles in the league, all pro, and put him to our team and help us with, with this run. And he probably can help us in the pass rush. Also, it was a plus. It, it, it shows you. It shows you. It shows you a lot about the organization. What they want to see now and not for the future. You know, Ricky. Anytime you and I talk, we talk a little bit ba- or a little bit of basketball. I know you're a huge, huge NBA guy. Let me just transition really quickly for a moment. How are you feeling about the NBA so far this year? What's caught your eye so far? Uh, it's so much. You know, Dwayne Wade on his last on his last dance. I'm I'm gonna miss him. That's the hardest thing. I'm I'm been trying to keep up with all his games and to see the go to state keep doing their thing. The other night I seen Steph drop the 51 in the, in three quarters and just seeing them do their thing and still having a. Uh, all NBA on the bench who eventually is going to come back. That's going to be crazy. Houston, it, it's just so many different things going. You, you got to make sure you can catch all the games and just catch everything that's going. That's why I got the ESPN app to make sure I get all the lists and everything that happens throughout the NBA. Ricky John Francois, you might mix in that CBS app too while you're at it. Hey, Ricky, I let me. You, I got you. My man. Listen, I want to ask you about the newly rebranded Duncan franchises. I mentioned off the top that you've got 30 of these things. How is business? Business business is going good. Business is booming. It's, it's great. I got into a little bit more this offseason by going to visit some sites, getting more into the numbers, getting more into meeting with my business partners, meeting with the contractors, just so many other people who I want to basically get in contact with and, and talk more and understand the business a lot more and more and more. So it's, it's a plus for me, and it's beautiful. It's, I'm getting my, my after-football life set up so whenever I walk away from this football thing, I can, I can transition over. And it won't be as hard as most people think it is. Yeah, I mean, right, these franchises, that's what that is. They're all part of a larger plan, the plan for your life after football. You're someone who's been thinking about this for a long, long time. When you ask your teammates about life after football or estate planning, generally, what is their reaction? A lot of the time I get hit with the, oh, man, you're an older guy. You're asking questions like this. But the crazy thing is I said that, said that once upon a time. But now that I'm in my 10th year, it ain't the old guy stuff. It's actually a smart question to ask. It's a smart question to for somebody to tell you. And, and it's hard to tell the young guys that, but I always tell them, I said, just always remember, you got to start setting up your retirement plan now. I don't care if you're in your rookie year, your second year, your third year. You have to start making your money work for yourself. you got to start putting that estate plan together because at the end of the day, knock on wood, nothing may happen to none of us. But if it's just case you do, you want to make sure your family's taken care of. You want to make sure everybody – who you love and who loved you, who took care of you, you make sure you take care of them when, once whatever may happen. Hope, like I said, hope nothing happened, but you, you got to set your afterlife up. You got to remember once football all over, your life still continues. Well, Ricky, your life never stops. Life never stops, and who knows when it's going to end. It could end in a second. You just mentioned your 10th season. That's an amazing accomplishment. If you go back to when you were drafted in the seventh round, and I were to say to you 10 years later, you'd still be in the NFL and still having huge games, what would you have said? I probably looked at you crazy. I was like, 10 years? Nah, I ain't going to be able to do that. But just to see I'm in this position and in this place now, it's a blessing. Like A lot of guys have told me from Corey Redden to Jason Hatchett to Robert Mathis, all them guys always told me you want to get to that 10th year because a lot of defensive linemen cannot say out their mouth, I didn't play 10 years in this league and been successful at it. Hey, Ricky, I wonder, 10 years in, before you go, I mean, do you still love everything about it or are there are parts of it that you love and parts that you don't? At this point, how do you maintain that edge 10 years in? Um, you got to love the game. You got to love every part of the game because this game right here is almost the closest thing to life. It prepares you for stuff. You're going to have those rough days. You're going to have those good days. You're going to have them up and down. But the same thing you have in, in this football facility is going to be the same thing that you got to go through outside. So it's basically preparing you emotionally, physically, spiritually to be prepared to take on whatever it may, whatever may come at you when you leave this football facility alone. And when you finally get your name taken off a of jersey, you finally stop wearing that logo on your helmet, and now you have to go out there and become the identity that you were those now you actually become the brand. That name you have heard now, you get to actually put that to work and now see see what did you do in the NFL. Did it help you when you left the NFL and went outside? Damn, you're rocking your own personal logo. And look at that. That is quite a resume. Ten years in the NFL, a BCS champion at LSU, the owner of 30 Duncan franchises, and still playing the game at a very high level. Ricky, it is so good to have you back. That is some really powerful information to go into the weekend with. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
Did that game give you enough to talk about? Welcome to the jungle. A very good Monday to you. Let me start your week off with the scariest phrase of all. Open phone first hour. No! Oh my God! What do you want to hit on? Football City, USA. Yeah! Has a team ever rolled into somebody else's house, beat them down by 29, with every legend of that franchise there to see it, and then go home like it was not a thing at all? Nobody is as ruthless as the Rams. Wide open touchdown. How about those Chiefs? Because after watching them embarrass Cincinnati 45-10 to last night, the Chiefs aren't just good. They're actually bordering on unfair. We've dated pretty girls before, but we've never had the hottest woman on the planet. Oh, now here's a fight. Here's Rondo going Crazier Laker nights in recent years. And believe me, Rondo has gone over much less than that. Chris Paul's got a bloody nose. You know why Chris Paul had a bloody nose? Because he got punched in the face. Sam Amick yeah. joining us on the program. So you got spit or spittle coming out of his mouth and landing on Chris. Spitting is worse than swinging. Pulled out on the playground. He's going to his trunk. Not only did we not ask how much it was, and we ordered it twice, Logan went home and he puked the whole thing up. I'm like, bro, I paid for that meat, and you couldn't keep that on board? You tell your sales manager, I'm taking nothing less than a thousand bucks. And the sales lady said, if I can make that happen. You call yourself a salesman? And I said, a great closing question. Yes. I love it. And she I closed. The Dodgers are coming. LA in five, Romy. Prepare to stand as your giant asses will not likely fit in the Fenway seat. <laughs> it's like the Raiders were giving Dallas a Carfax report on Cooper. Four games under 20 yards, commitment questioned, and the Cowboys kept nodding and saying, yep. Yep, that's our guy. Take this first round pick right now, or we'll throw in another one. How about them, Cowboys? Oh. Alex Honnold is joining us. You know, whether their cameras are on, you know, that kind of pressure pales in comparison to the actual pressure of, or, you know, the actual fear of falling to your death. So, I mean, free soloing can be sort of horrifying to watch. Even worse than unwarring Rush, it's hearing you war the goo goo doll. That's like hearing Chewbacca say war Nickelback. <laughs> hey, Mom, I'm tired of you favoring my sister. You better buy me that toy I want, or I'll meet you in the basement. Rip that makeup off your face. And make you eat it. Good! Yes, they're 0-3. Last year's team started 2-2. Which team would you rather have? I can only assume some of those same dopes that are panicking right now were planning a parade then. As LeBron said, this is not instant oatmeal. Instant oatmeal. Is this or is this not the XFL? I actually kind of had a concussion. Kind of had about 20 of my buddies coming in for that next game in my head. I'm like, this is the XFL. There's no rules in this. This is... Game one belongs to the Red Sox. Three to go for a Red Sox team. Trying to go down in history. That's the best Red Sox team ever. Back to my original point. If you thought the city of Boston was tired of winning and had gotten soft, then you do not know that city. I hate the Dodgers. Punk slot receiver. Put on blast by some Instagram skank. Unwar that referee paying, skirt chasing, skinny jeans wearing, perv, rubby crap. Derek Lewis. You know, I don't do this for publicity or for the fans. I just do it for the money. It's business. Yeah. Do you have a passion for the sport? Yeah, I don't have a passion for the sport at all. It's just business. You know, I have a criminal background. I just like to fight. No one told you crime was ever going to pay. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA. If you think I'm going to sing that crap. Hey, People think that dude was funny. Did people think that show was funny? Email. If Carr feels he has it's to cry, he should broke. just let it go. It's let it go. It's Can't broke. hold it back it's anymore. Broke. We are joined by GM Les Snead. You were with the personnel department in Jacksonville. The season was not going so well. Great story. Now I'll probably would go right into your commercial break. But, Do it. You know, I got out the old applications to law school. I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I'm made for this football thing. Bobby Flay. Life is great. Restaurant business is fun and vibrant. Beat Bobby Flay Food Network is going well. I have to have you on the show. I you know, that that's right up your alley. We'll have to make sure that happens. When, Lord, when does it ever end? It's just like... Irie, I can answer that. When you find a place to live. Milwaukee Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer is my guest. How high is his ceiling? How much better can he get? He thinks he can be even better. And, and you know, I again, I hesitate to say this, but I think he can be. Run me. Run me? Gladly. Run me? Absolutely. The lobster deserves it. He deserves the nobility in letting him right off into the sunset in Houston, the place where he earned that rep. My confidence will never waver. Don't be sad it's over. Be happy that it ever happened. Email. Geisha House Hollywood. Holy all right, thanks. And I'm going to try not to think about drills entering eyeballs. Me too. No, we're just sitting our players down before meals and showing them videos of drills going to eyeballs. If I go down, I'm going down swinging. Who you got? The bird or City Hall? I don't know. It, but I'm going to win. 
four Honda Accord. Rock it out, Jim. My balls was hot. In the World Series. I understand. Diabetic foot removal. Tucker on <laughs> <laughs> solo. Yo, he's the Red Sox. Come on. Perform. 99-minute double-decker. Wow, he's beautiful. The legacy's dead. Good night now. Tim in Alberta. It's good to have you on the show, Tim. Do me a favor. Everybody calls me the goose. The goose? Oh, I like the that. How, where'd that come from? Talk to me. Where'd you get that uh, gloss? Mine, uh, always ne- never thought Tim was the good name for me. Spent a lot of years calling me everything but. We go to a college one day, go drinking with a guy. We drink the bar dry. Turns out Mike, which was his real name. Everybody. Ah! That's hey, no. Tim. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Two things, Tim. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.